listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 31 of Cinemental. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Your mother's in here with his cars. Would you like to leave a message? I see that she gets it. It was as if there were four razors cutting at the same time. Kill her, Mommy! Kill her! We'll tear your soul apart! I've seen the exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it! Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Movie Podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hoeke, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Hassan Godwin, and Lathan Conger III. Today's guest doesn't hate pets, and although having none himself, this should not be taken as judgment on all of you pet lovers out there. He's an award-winning artist who, having survived the worlds of Marvel, DC, and Image Comics, eventually moved into film and TV. But the allure of the comic book artist life was, alas, too great, and it drew him back into its warm fold once again. Not content with merely making a living drawing, he co-created Drink and Draw, a popular social network for artists that gathers at bars, taverns, and lounges. Dan Panosian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me and reading that bio. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I loved it. I, I, I wanted to make it my own a little bit. because Yeah, I noticed uh, that. I liked it. I, I like that abridged version. <laughs> I'll, I'll happily send you a copy if you want. Yeah, send me a copy of that. I'll, I'll <laughs> So, uh, we're, let's go ahead and jump into some news that gives us fits. Hassan, anything? Uh, not, not really. Just a feeding frenzy online now about, like, okay, so Borat has a sequel yeah. that's coming out <laughs> that nobody, that nobody really expected. Like, it just kind of just dropped and kind of got announced. Yeah. And so now... Everybody's all about how this is a good thing, and this is you know this is really great. This guy, you know, we're gonna have more content, and you know this is this is a great way of doing it. We're just kind of a day ago, two two or three days ago, the consensus was that uh, the the straight to streaming isn't working because uh, Tenet didn't make a lot of money. It made it made good money, it made more money than Mulan, but it didn't make you know uh, a crazy amount of money. And Mulan was even though Disney's calling Mulan a success. It can't, it, you know, by everybody crunching the numbers, they're saying it can't have been a financial success, you know, of the platform or whatever. So people uh, a couple of days ago were questioning what had been accomplished, you know, by all these, you know, these experimental, you know, straight to streaming or, you know, half streaming, half theatrical release kind of productions. And then Borat got announced. And then the, so the last... Uh, in the last few articles I read, the last uh, video pieces of video paraphernalia I, I went over, everyone's praising the idea. It's like, oh, this is fantastic. The format is is excellent because you could just drop these things, you know, and people are really hungry for it. And nobody was expecting any anything like this. And this is so it's like, you know, okay, so none of you guys really knows what to make of all this. You know, the industry is in flux. Everybody's scrambling for, and it, this is this is all the the other problem with, and I don't. There is no solution for it. I don't. I don't suggest that something has to be done about it. But this is a problem with monetizing 
I don't know. I don't know what just happened. Right. <laughs> Everybody oh, just no. switched places. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, lower left. Yeah. There, there, there was an earthquake in California. Yeah. <laughs> it's a cycle. It's midsummer. It was psychological. I don't know where I am right now. Um, the, the fact that everybody needs this industry to work for the secondary industry of content, you know, people commenting on movies, people, you know, with the inside track, the inside dope on studios or whatever. And the fact that all of them are monetized, so the incentive isn't to basically get to the bottom of everything and, and to elaborate on things, but the, the, the incentive is to find other things to talk about, right? Right. So it's, I don't know how, and this is really abstract and this is just probably just me, I don't know how to trust any of this stuff anymore because these people aren't giving me genuine impressions of anything. You know, they're... they're their state of uh, of compliance changes from day to day, you know, depending yep. on what's available to talk about or what's available to uh, to you know to, to start a controversy, so that they could get clicks. It's like my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Your your marriage needs clicks. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah. What can I what can I make controversial today? <laughs> oh, every every marriage needs clicks, though. Every right. marriage clicks on the on the marriage. That's very yeah. Good. Yeah. Very no idea. Yeah. So that I just found that like extremely, um, I, it, it's annoying. It's a little discouraging. It's uh, when I think when you look around, and we'll we'll get to this because this kind of this just strangely uh, correlates with uh, with my thoughts on one of the movies for tonight. Okay. When you when you look around and you realize that all the information you're being given is compromised in some way, it, there is an immediate sense of. I, I don't know how, I don't want to be over dramatic, but there's an immediate sense of like dread, you know, like I, I have no idea what I'm, yep. what I, you know, yeah, and, and then you're stuck with your own impressions anyway. Yep. So, you know, but go ahead, Steve, I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's no, I, it's funny that you say that. Cause it's like, if you look back even like five, 10 years ago to like the online news delivery format and stuff, you used to be able to go to a, to a, you know, like, like for entertainment news, you used to be able to go to a website, read what they had to say about that for the day. And you could just be like, Oh, that's interesting. And, and, you know, you, and, and you just take it at face value and, you know, and then you'd move on or whatever. Now I hardly read any single article online and take that as gospel. It's like, it's like, I almost need to go and do my own due diligence and make sure that this Everything. is actually, it made sure this is actually being reported the same way by multiple outlets in order to like, for me to be like, Oh, okay. So I guess that's, I guess that's a legit story. I guess that's a, a you know, something that's going on. Yeah, um, it's crazy. Like you have to, you literally have to have a library of references, just like a bibliography of references before you can have your own opinion, not before you can make an opinion, but yeah. just for you to be able to develop your own opinion on something. It's, it's a, Everyone should. I mean, that's that's a thing. And that I think that's a bigger, the bigger, the bigger story is, is more people just see a post and go, oh, my God, I can't believe that. And yeah. then they turn around and post it on their feed. And it's like, guys, hey, uh, yeah. by the way, 90 percent of the crap you're reading probably isn't 100 percent true. That's because you know, everyone thinks they're a journalist. Social media has made everyone oh a journalist. God. And it's a joke. Yeah. It's a complete joke. It is. A joke. It is made, huh. you know, opinion pieces, journalism. It's nullified it. It's nullified it in, in certain circles, and it's yeah. I don't know how many times I've I've had to tell someone this is an opinion piece. This yeah, is there's yeah. nothing wrong with this. 
but this is not fact. This yeah, person this... is is literally just riffing on the possibilities given the information that they've been given. But this right. is this doesn't necessarily mean that there are nukes coming. You know, like can we can we you know there are websites that are literally the first two paragraphs are your pyramid factual information and then it divulges into a, a, a opinion from there on. So you can't even read a factual article with that unless you stop and then don't and say, well, now they're now they're off spouting their opinion. I'm going to cut it off right here. I got my info. Who does that? So right. it's 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 bad. I, I that feeling of dread is is real. The, 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 is the problem is, is it re it's requiring us as the readers or the consumers of information to be smarter. And there's only a certain and there's only a certain percentage who are willing to to, to be <laughs> to be smarter. Oh, I'll go with there's only a certain percentage that are smarter. Period. Okay, I'll I'll say it. All right, that's, <laughs> no, I don't care. All right, that's. I mean, there are too many people who now feel they are relevant without <laughs> actually learning anything, but by going on the internet. For a certain amount of time, they think they've reached the same level as other people that have put years or decades of study uh, in front of them. And it's, it's just it's unsolvable because yeah. everyone has the same level of voice right. opinion pieces. Also, they most people just post things and don't even vet the things that they post. Exactly. I don't. I can't right. tell you how many times I've looked at it and I said, "This article is four years old." You know, yeah, yeah. where the article says North Korea launched nukes, we're all doing, and you know, and the person has this, <laughs> you know, this this rebel rousing on this. You know, I knew this wasn't. I knew we weren't safe and whatever. And you look at the article and it's like from from two thousand six. Yeah. yeah I'm like, yeah. did you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they're I, like, well, it's then there's a the ego kicks in. And so now you got to get the indignance of the person. Well, it's still relevant. I was like, it's 12 years relevant. You know, it's like, it's not really contemporary stuff is relevant. Right. This is not relevant. And anymore. because the internet is going to constantly get every, every minute, a new group of viewers, you're, this is going to happen in perpetuity. And so the oh, only yeah. way to avoid this is either to get offline, get offline or be smarter is really all it comes down to. Did you guys see that Netflix uh, documentary, The uh, Social Dilemma? Oh, no. yes. No, oh, I yes. did not. And I heard no, it. I, it <clears throat> and thank you for bringing it up. That was, I can't believe I didn't think to bring that up for news that gives us fits. That's, go yeah. ahead, Dan. That's, no, it's just interesting, especially me as a parent. I got a six-year-old son and, you know, I, I, I'm definitely online all day long. And of course, I just write it off to, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I have a Twitter account. I got to do some, you know, PR, self PR. I got to be on Facebook and see, you know, I have all, a million excuses, but I'm definitely online too much and, you know, plugged in too much to all that. So, but the next generation, you know, we we grew up, we didn't have this. This this generation, this is a part of their everyday, and so it's really going to be tough to, uh, you know, handle that for for a kid. I mean, that's that's a rough scenario when everyone's doing it. Like at, at what age do you give a kid a cell phone? And um, that's, you know, and all, all the other kids, you know, there's plenty of parents who's not like, you want a cell phone? You'll shut up for a little bit. Here you are, you know, seven yeah. year old, here's a cell phone. So, you know, and then every other kid in that class is going to want that cell phone. And then, and then instead of, I've seen it with my son, they play video games and they're, they're right next to each other playing the same video mm -hmm. game. So they're kind of interacting in the same way. Like, I don't know when we were younger, if we were playing like Tekken or, 
whatever it is, you know, we're all playing it, but we're, we're, so it's hard, you know, like it's hard to justify some of these things. The changeover was almost immediate because as soon as you had, and, and less from the cell phone side, but as soon as the iPad came into existence, that's when you really saw a really immediate switch because we would go out to dinner someplace and it's like you would hear, you'd be you'd see the mom and the dad sitting at the table oh, and, yeah. the, and the kids are all sitting around the table and they're all, they all have their own iPad well, and I they're, know. All, I they're, and they're all doing something and it's keeping them occupied. And the parents are like, thank goodness. We don't yeah. have to, we don't have to interact. We don't have to try and entertain them. They're not jumping up and running around the restaurant. You know, yeah. I don't, ha- I don't, I don't have to hunt down the lady for crayons. You know, it doesn't, you know, whatever it is, but it, it takes care of that, you know, and I think yeah, that that's the easy thing. Yeah. And just, and I, I started, I, I started changing the apps on my phone. I took certain things off. So at least on my phone, I put my cell phone away at eight o'clock. Don't touch you. it. I mean, it was all because of that movie. Um, you know, I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Check it out. Yeah, definitely. No, yeah, the movie is, it's, there's some devastating stuff in there. There's some, you know, statistics that are shocking and it's, yep. It's all it's all the CEOs and former um, heads of content at Twitter, at Facebook, at yeah. So and, and they're the ones who are rising and saying, "Look, we've got a real problem on our hands that we, you know, and we we can manipulate and uh, help form opinions, and, and it's a dangerous responsibility, and right. it's, it's kind of out of their control. It's not it, all that's you know. There's nothing wrong with capitalism, but all that's based on advertising and trying to these companies just trying to make sure we're tied to our devices because if we're tied to our devices, inevitably there's going to be some things to click on or just, just put in front of our eyes in the same way that we're driving down the street and we're looking at a a sign. Everything we're getting is, is, is incentivized. Every piece of information we're getting is, is monetized in some way. Well, what's that quote they got on this thing? They said, if you're, if you're not paying for it, you actually are the product. Yeah, that's the whole theme of the documentary. Yeah, you're 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 what they're paying for. The advertisers are paying. It's free because the advertisings are, you know, you're the you're the get. Yep. Wow. And it's scary how they, you know, <laughs> they, you know, they, they they have an actor. You know who? Uh, what's his name? Is it Vincent oh, Carthizer? Is that his name? The Is actor the from Mad Men. Yeah. Yeah. He he plays he plays three twins who are like the the ones that engage the, the social media people. So when this guy, when this kid on in the dramatization in the documentary decides to turn off his phone for a week, they call it, you know, they, they uh, define it as trying to resurrect him. We have to resurrect him. We have to find a way to get him back online. Yeah. It's, oh. <laughs> it, it's just fantastic how they characterize it and, and show it how they, Oh, you're geographically near this person. Uh, we're going to send you a notification on your phone that relates to that person and maybe you'll friend them. I mean, just, yeah. just scary, wow. scary stuff. It is, a, it is a sense of hysteria. It really is. Because, I mean, I have friends who check in from the doctor's office. Yeah. You know, yeah. online. <laughs> and I'm like, what did, you know, why do I, I need to know gone. you're at? The, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand the, the mentality here. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like I, I, some of it I do get and some of it is good. And I, like I said, there's, there are friends I have who I've never met who are actually good friends of mine, you know, just, just, just through social interaction. So it's not, I'm not against it. It's not a, a total negative, yeah. but there's a lot wrong with this, you know? And, and I don't 
no, I don't see a solution to it. I don't see there us ever no like solution. getting away there from it. No, there is no a, solution. I don't think there's going to be a solution because we're not, none of these companies are going to be incentivized to have you be on their websites less. That's, that's not the point of them. Well, yeah, I know. These kids <laughs> are growing up and they don't feel relevant unless, unless they're relevant on social media. They feel no relevance otherwise. And that's, that's a bad, bad thing, man. That's, I, I see this becoming one of two films, either yes. Terminator 2 or Idiocracy. <laughs> idiocracy, I think, is. Well, we're living idiocracy. Probably both. <laughs> we'll be, it'll be idiocracy until the machines. Yeah, it would be the idiots against the machines. And the, and the machines. Yeah, that'll go, that'll go well. Yeah, the machines will, 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 at the end, the machines will just take such pity on us that they'll stop killing us. And that's how this story is. Yeah. Or the machines, they'll get addicted to social media and stop fighting everybody. <laughs> they're they're addicted people. to being on That's yeah. the key. That's how we defeat them. We get them involved. We get them involved. That's a great movie idea, Steve. You should not be recording right now. <laughs> yeah. We get the machines hooked on social There's media. interest in us because they're, you know, they've gained sentience. and Yeah, and they're bored. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing to do we're too predictable they've discovered all our algorithms they're like all right we already know where this chess piece where that's gonna go so we need something Clytus, i'm bored yeah <laughs> well it's like uh what's his name Terrence stamp two minutes after uh general zod took over the white house like three scenes yeah. later they were they were in the oval office and they were bored out of their minds yeah they were, like lying all oh, over yeah, the furniture yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like ho-hum <laughs> we, we've, we've conquered this nation now. Yeah, exactly. And uh, to Hassan, a point that Hassan made earlier, too, a big example of it, uh, like what he was saying, when people don't ch- vet what they're looking at, a lot of times people will post that someone famous has died, but they will have died like five years ago. But yeah. they just found they're not out. lying. <laughs> so they, I yeah. know that's the thing is they're factually correct. They're just not timely relevant, and they look dumb because they didn't check the date on the obituary. So it's just and, then they, and then they have to play it off. After, yeah. after you call them on it, they have to tell you, well, you know, well, this, still, though, this, yeah, this still means song. something to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's that. I mean, honestly, you see far more you know, uh, instances of, of people posting that someone's dead, and they haven't. Than, than, <laughs> yeah. than the other. So That's well, why when Latham, exactly. Latham posted about Chadwick Boseman, I was I, I I was hoping I'm like oh man I hope I hope this is a hoax you know I hope this yeah. isn't me and then it just it, it took maybe I don't know ten minutes seconds, and it, yeah yeah and it just it was everywhere and I was like oh man this is now we know it's true now it's been vetted yeah you I think you sent a text you didn't post about it you sent oh, us a yeah, joint text you guys. Right. that's right yeah. yeah and we were both like what are you talking about yeah yeah, yeah right dude right. Panther not dead. Someone online posted a picture of uh, Chadwick Boseman as Spawn, right? As yeah. a commemorative from, uh, from I think, from McFarlane, you know, the studios. And I'm like, right. well, doesn't this imply that he's in hell? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And, well. and uh, yeah, the, the fans didn't appreciate that that comment yeah so. i bet <laughs> all right well, i think anyway. that is and by the way i forgot to add at the beginning that uh again seeing as it's october this is in fact scaramental not cinnamental oh. <laughs> but so dan's choice for guilty pleasure 
which I was so happy to actually hear, yeah. is the Ninth Gate. What are you looking for, Mr. Corso? Uh, I'm not quite sure. Some books are dangerous not to be opened with impunity. Are you a religious man, Mr. Corso? I mean, do you believe in the supernatural? Nine gates of the kingdom of shadows. Reputed to conjure up the prince of darkness in person. Only three copies survived. I'm convinced only one was authentic. I want you to get it for me. What is it you wish to discuss, Mr. Corso? Uh, there's a book in your collection I'd like to examine, if possible. It's the book of the nine gates of the kingdom of shadows. Nine gates. An interesting work. Do you have any doubts about its authenticity? Not whatsoever. L.C.F. Who's L.C.F.? Lucifer himself. There have been men who have been burned alive for just a glimpse of what you are about to witness. From 1999, directed by Roman Polanski, with a running time of 133 minutes. Is that acceptable running time for you guys? What's that? Is that an acceptable running time? Oh, we... I love this movie. Well, we got to hear Dan. First of all, Dan. Dan, why, why the ninth gate? This is a very weird film for me because I'm not one of those guys that will watch and rewatch films again and again. Like I, I love, you know, like, like everybody from my generation, I know well, everybody I know for the most part, you know, they've, they've watched star Wars a number of times and I've certainly seen it a handful of times. You know, I've seen Africa, the African queen, um, probably so many times just because of TBS, but to actually put a, a DVD in and, and watch it again and again, I've probably seen this film more than any other film. So it just kind of, I don't know why it just kind of stuck with me, but it's just, it, again, it's like what I mentioned earlier, it has that creepy different world. Like there's something attractive of, about like, here's a guy who, uh, you know, I have a strange job. I, I write and draw comic books. It's a little peculiar and unusual. Like when you meet people and you tell them what you, they do, they're, you're kind of, people are, they're intrigued. You know, they think not everybody thinks it's a real job necessarily, but um, if you were to tell someone that you, uh, you know, you, you, you sell and find used vintage books, that's kind of a unusual job. And you, the first thing you'd go is, Oh, can you make a living at that? You know? And the fact that not only is this guy making a living, but it's taking him all over the world. And he has a dream client that has, he's given an unlimited budget and he gets to, you know, it's peculiar, but he, this guy's has almost no soul himself and he's, you know, he's, he's, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm kind of crazy about this film emphasis on the crazy part. I can't agree with you more. Uh, and watching this film again, for me, I was just, just reinforced that I'm, I, I'm a big fan of Roman Polanski's visuals. Yeah, the, music uh, the, the music's phenomenal. He, yeah. he, for the most part will use Polish composers Mm-hmm. Uh, who are well known in their field, and uh, this is a guy. The guy that did the music for this has done a number of other great film scores, and uh, yeah, this is you know this. this you know, he doesn't foray into the world of the of the strange very often. Uh, you know, the la- before this it was Rosemary's Baby in '68, yeah. and you know the the two times the two things that I've seen in that you know in that run, I I I enjoyed immensely. I I, I really like movies that. You know, I, I am not quite to the extent that, Lay, that Latham is, but I am a, more agnostic than atheist. But I, I, you know, I don't particularly believe in a higher power or anything along those lines. But 
I love movies that are based on that kind of stuff. Yeah, me too. I, mean, I grew up, I grew up very Catholic. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm basically agnostic. I'm not, you know, I'd like, I'd like to think that there's some kind of higher power, but I, there's, you know, I'm just, I don't want to, we, we don't need to get into a discussion of religions because, uh, you know, I respect. Because <laughs> nobody wins. <laughs> nobody wins. Yeah. But, you so, know, I respect, like everybody needs something and, uh, you know, you make it, it's a choice. But yeah, even, even being agnostic, I still really dig these, you know, uh, religious based sort of um, films. I, I put this film in the, the lore behind it kind of builds a nice foundation for, for somebody to. Exactly. You know, and I think, you know, and I, listen, I love the movie, the 10 commandments. I I'm on an unabashed fan of that film and not just because of its, its epic quality or the fact that it's a classic or anything else, but I love, I love, I seem to, I shouldn't say I love, I seem to be drawn to films that are based on to some extent uh, the stories have a biblical tilt to them yeah. uh there's a there's a movie from a from the from the mid 90s called the seventh sign with demi moore and jürgen proc now i love what 88 i love that movie first of all if you're going to talk lean forward because you do when you lean back i can't fucking hear you no i well it's not my turn to talk so it doesn't I, I, if you're talking it's your turn 1988 um, thanks buddy <laughs> <laughs> so uh but i i feel this is very similar in a way to that because they both have that sort of like touch back to like a biblical sort of you know yeah. connection and this film deals with the devil uh mm -hmm. I, I i actually went down a pretty deep hole on this movie doing the research for this i i created a whole spreadsheet with all the differences and all the plates and what they're in. Oh, i love those the That's uh the, the plate the plates were actually initially commissioned for the original novel, the Club Dumas by uh, Arturo Reverte, who also wrote the Alatriste books, which are excellent, by the way. And, mm -hmm. you know, they were modified somewhat for the film, uh, mostly in the depiction of the faces uh, on some of the, the engravings so that they would look like characters that were going on in the film. But uh, this, you know, I, I, I ended up reading the majority of uh, this guy wrote he called it an article, but honestly, it was more like a thesis. It was a 77-page, just basically breakdown. Of this? Wow, I don't want to read that. I'll send, you, I'll send you the PDF of a breakdown of all, the, all, these, all these engravings and the nine gates and how they relate back to a real, real, quote-unquote, yeah. uh, you know, but how, the, the existence in our reality of a, you know, uh, a real kind of occult thing that's it's tied to a, a, a real, you know, real documents and real history. So that for me alone just sort of like gave me even more reason to like this. I love Johnny Depp. I love him in this role. I, I, I wish that there would have been, been more Dean Corso stories from this, from this writer. And that this maybe was his last one, you know, this, you know, this kind of ended his tale. Yeah. Um, I love Emmanuel Seigneur. Uh, she mostly mostly appears in Polanski films, but I, I, I absolutely adore her there. You know, I, Frank Langella is, is great as Boris Belkin, you know, all the, all the character, all the actors playing their, you know, their roles, whatever Lena Olin, absolutely gorgeous and, yeah. and perfect in her role. Yeah. So sinister uh, looking. Yeah. It's yeah. And, yeah. Just, just, yeah, there, there, there's nothing. I don't, there's no real fault I find with this movie. 
this that is this one, that one henchman. I've always wondered, and you may, maybe you know after like researching it a little bit more. I'm surprised I haven't. But that one henchman on on the motorcycle wasn't he in a like an, a, a late '80s band in in Great Britain? Um, the henchman you're thinking the... a tricky or. Um... It wasn't tricky. Though. Or the fine young camp, Roland Gift yeah. from the fine young camp. Was, he wasn't yeah. either of them. <laughs> no, that that was no. Yeah, he was neither of those guys. Oh, he. It'd be cool if he was though. Yeah, I always thought, man, is that him? Is that him? You know? No. He drives me. <laughs> yeah, I really thought it was wow. him. Wow. I heard that guy transitioned into acting or or, or dabbled in it. Yeah, well, he's in. Uh, he is in a couple movies. Oh. Uh, Who? Roland Gift. Which one? Roland Gift was. Oh, okay. Uh, Latham. Well, so I like when I like when a guest of ours picks a movie that I saw in the theater, but I can't fully remember what rating I gave it. And I, I'm not sure if it was like I know I didn't love it. I didn't hate it, but it's right there between like two and a half, three stars. So I couldn't remember. I didn't want to be biased and looked at it. So I just watched the movie and I'm watching the movie and then I get to the last half hour and then I remembered Right. I remember why I really don't like this movie at all. <laughs> it's amazing that you brought up the, the, the guy who scored the movie. The, I don't know his name. Yeah, great score. Vojtacek Kilar. I mean, his score for the, for the eerie parts is fine, but there's this upbeat part when he's walking in the streets and stuff, and I'm just like, this does not fit at all. This is... It's almost like the Ghostbusters, like incidental music, some of it. I really didn't like it, and, and that bothered me. For, for me, Polanski is, he's like the prototypical um, film student director. He doesn't do anything really distinctive, but you know it's a Polanski film because it's, because of the way it's, orchestrated and the way it's put like sequenced i guess you would say he's done great movies like chinatown and the pianist which i love both those movies i think they're great at rosemary's baby i think is decent there's this genericness to what he's doing and he has this great idea of this you know this expert on books who's going to track down these books and it might be linked to actual satanism or satan actually existing and you know it goes you, you go along this path and he it's very detailed all these all these shots of the books and the pictures in the books that stuff is awesome but then there's these scenes like the fight scene by the river that is just so awful it's 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 like why didn't you take the care you had when you filmed these books and did these this detailed stuff and put it into that but when they're following the car with the red car, with, with their own red car that they just steal real quickly from the hotel, that that kind of stuff takes me out of, out of detailed movies like this. It really bothers me. And it felt like I was watching like a, a weak version of The Omen. Like it, it felt like The Omen, but the, you know, the, the ending, the last half hour is just, I don't, I don't even know how to put it into words. I, I'm shocked that you, I mean, are you buying that scene where he's, where he's having sex with her outside the castle? I mean, oh. I'll cut into that scene if, if I'm closure. <laughs> what at the at the end? Do you, <laughs> let, me ask you, let me ask you a question. Who do you who do you think she is? 
Uh, I think that's the, that's uh, Satan. Right. That's. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the idea. Yeah. Okay. So she has sex with him, and then it, I'll tell you the la He goes back to the place in Spain with the two brothers that was played by one actor. That was kind of cool. Yeah. Actually, all actually all four characters were played by the same guy. Oh, and the the two at the end too. Yep. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. They were all they were all the same guy. They, you know, he goes back there and they take the thing down. The page falls down. Then he goes back to the castle again. Mm-hmm. That that ending felt like he didn't know how to end this movie, and he's just like, "Ah, oh, we're gonna do this." Oh, you're missing one of the pages, and that page is on top of this bookcase. But you're gonna go back. I mean, it, the plotting is just. Wow, I, well, I he wasn't, really he wasn't missing it. She tells him that it was a forgery. That's why it didn't work. I know, but what? Why is that? Why is that? Why not let the other guy do it? Why? Why does he have to do it? Because what? he didn't deserve it. Yeah, despite his wealth and riches. But but Johnny Depp's a, a morally depraved character too. He's no Correct. he's no saint. Why does he deserve it? I mean, it, it, who deserves it? A bad person? A good person? I mean. But the okay. thing is, is that's that's why it's about the journey and his journey through this movie. And and through if you and again, this takes a little more delving into. But if you if you if you read about how the the how things tie into his journey and you can map his journey through the nine gates throughout the film and, and doing the passages and everything correlates to something that happens in the film. And you can you can actually track along with it into where you get to the end. And, and at the end, you can argue that that he's not opening he's not opening the gates to hell at all because lucifer is not necessarily the same as satan lucifer was the light bringer oh yeah i mean i i I mean lucifer over their morning star right you know it's not it's not about you know you know samael was his angelic name but he was lucifer before he was anyone else you okay. know, before he was, you know, so if you're going back by through that mythology, you know, there isn't necessarily this thing saying, you know, and the, and the devil is simply helping him on his journey, where that journey. This, and, by the way, what's that? Um, I, I really put a strong effort into naming my son Lucifer. Like that was that was on the tape. <laughs> and uh, it didn't it didn't. My wife's Greek and she's from a very religious uh, house. Yeah, going to work <laughs> that didn't fly for some reason that's not going to fly <laughs> but imagine imagine introducing yourself as you, didn't, you, you, you didn't try beelzebub uh but well i knew that one or like you could, like you could call him lucy or, name you know luke. Adolf, oh yeah call him luke <laughs> luke yeah, lucifer you ate off i changed my <laughs> louis site Sy- louis cypher yeah <laughs> I mean, um all right uh go ahead like i just had a couple more things okay yeah. You know, if you're gonna, I mean, the whole the whole movie, Johnny Depp is, you know, following the line that there's no magic in these books, you know, that's all bullshit, and it continues all the way through the movie, almost till you know, basically till the end, but you ruin it when you show that girl flying. Every time you show her flying, you've ruined it. You you've you've ruined what the ambiguousness of it. Because she's floating down and then she's floating up or whatever the fuck. That was a bad narrative choice. That's bad. I mean, it's not bad writing. It's a bad choice to put that in there. It's a, it's a dumb effect, too. It looks terrible compared to the other visuals in the movie. I didn't like that. 
I don't get the whole cigarette smoke and fire theme throughout the entire movie unless it's just the basic theme of, oh, hell, it's all smoke and fire and whatever. I mean, they really, they really pushed it for the whole film. And there's a theme there that I didn't get. And I don't want to ask Roman or care. <laughs> and um, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty much, oh, oh, yeah, okay. I, I'm just looking at my notes. Okay, the ritual. The ritual scene near the end, I'm just, you know, I'm just like, man, I wish, you know, there's, there's the ritual scene like that. And then there's the one in eyes wide shut. And one is like a masterpiece. And one is like some people standing in a moment robes on and was fucking lame. And that's, you know, maybe that's an unfair comparison, but I didn't buy that at all. I will say that they referenced at the beginning of the movie a book called the Hypnotomachia. Is that mm-hmm. how you pronounce it? Hypno, Hypnerotomachia, mm-hmm. which, do you know what that's about? Do you know about that book? I do not. It's, a, it's an actual, because the book in this movie is not real, right? Besides correct. the guy that- That is right. correct. It's yeah. all fictional. They referenced a real mysterious book- Yes. Called the Hypnerotomachia. Several. But yes, that, well, several, but that one was in a novel, uh, one of my favorite books that I read a long time ago called The Rule of Four about these four guys trying to decipher this old book and they start battling each other. And it, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, a you know, I don't, no one's probably heard of the book. I don't remember the authors. It's called The Rule of Four, but it's a great book. And I, I love that realism, how they threw that in there and they made that part of the to, you know, to anchor the fact that he knows about rare books. And I thought that was really cool. I just, man, the last, you know, 45 minutes to the end, this movie just falls apart. I don't like any of the background effects and all. I mean, I just, I know, it, uh, I'm going to shut up. Hassan, go ahead. I just, I don't like this movie. I don't like it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was floating down river. And then yeah. it just went over the edge. <laughs> yeah. Final commentary. Hassan, what are your what are your thoughts on this? Son, you've been kind of quiet. Well, you don't interrupt Latham. That way lies that way lies damnation. I've I've seen it. <laughs> did it earlier and did it that way lies only madness but the reason i interrupted you was to compliment what you were saying so like you know so that that was you know i was able to get in on a technicality on that but usually although (laughs) in in general i don't like to talk over anybody you know that's just not my thing neither do i so yeah um i kind of do We appreciate There's it. not much I can say about this movie that Latham hasn't already said, you know, in the sense of especially that fighting scene down in the down by the by the yeah, not the best. I mean, I, I definitely love good fight scenes. And but I mean, no, I when you when it. you show the when you show your character floating around, you you tip your hat to the fact that all this you know supernatural stuff is real. The the movie really propels itself as. Uh, one sane man being Johnny Depp in a in a in a really um really obscure sect of the population where they're rich and fanatical. They have too much they have way too much money and I e yeah well but I'm just saying yes <laughs> these niche people who who like have so much money that they start to believe in fantasies or whatever. And so Corso is this guy who 
is a little too even keel to fall for the nonsense, you know, but he's also using their uh, paranoia against them so that he can make money off of them to, you know, retrieve these rare artifacts for them. So it's his, so he's got to placate them to an extent um, because that's where his bread, is, bread and butter is. And, and you're going along and he's, you know, I mean, it's a, I think it effectively kind of shows how he gets caught up peeling an onion basically for the whole story. And he's finding out that not only is this not just an innocent find of, uh, you know, of rare antiquity, but that these people really are crazy and they're, and they're caught up in this. They're, they're believing this stuff, you know, and he maintains his aura of detachment from it. Like, I'm just here to help you, you know, get what you need so you can pay me so that I can not be around you people anymore. And then he, you know, he meets up with this girl and at one point the girl is flying, you know, and, 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 and now you're like, <laughs> okay. Right, but he doesn't see that. But you, yeah, but we see it. So like I said, the same. You don't know at that point, is, is, she a, like a, is she an angel? Is she like a. What I had said before about Midsummer, I believe it because he believes it. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the whole thing through his eyes. Now you've just shown me something he hasn't seen. So now I'm ahead of him. Right. So I'm and, and, and it doesn't work because towards the end of the movie, he comes, he comes around to believing that all this stuff is real because he uses the book and he goes through the ninth gate. Can't you say a song like a lot, a lot of films, like, like a Hitchcock film, like we as the audience want that main character to kind of catch up where we are. And we're like, what's it going to take or something no. like that? No. <laughs> Not often. No. <laughs> I, I, I think the suspension of Hitchcock film, no. the suspension of Hitchcock film is the bomb under the chair. When's he going to discover that he's about to die? I get that. But that's that, mm. that, that is a, that's a gimmick for a scene, not a gimmick for a film. You know, I'm not going to spend the entire film hoping that this guy becomes as smart as I was from the start of the film, you know, and, and for a while I was on the same path with him until I saw something that he didn't see that, that yep. ultimately I didn't need to see because I'd like to stay in the, in, in the dark as equally as he does. So now if I know she's supernatural and I know that the supernatural exists, the revelation that there is a book, that the book does do what they said the book uh, could do, it's not a revelation Absolutely. anymore. Yeah, the jig is Yeah, up. and so it's the same with Midsommar. It's the same with it. When you show a guy jump off a cliff and he kills himself and nobody goes, okay, party's over. <laughs> you know, this no. is too rich for my blood. <laughs> Guys, at least I'm consistent with these two films. It's then, not you, know? man. It's not. It's not you. No, I mean, it's, it's just like the same things in both of them. So there's a consistency. As there. a consolation prize, both of these films very effectively create an aura of 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 discomfort. You know, it, these are all like extremely dis un uncomfortable circumstances to be in. Um, I yep. think Ninth Gate does it a little more effectively because things don't get gruesome. The, the gruesomeness of the Ninth Gate is a very slow, slow reveal, you know? Um, until, you know, until... There isn't any gruesomeness. Well, there's a, there's a dead guy who was strangled to death in a wheelchair where his house is burning down and he's, he's rolling around in his wheelchair. Well, it's a, it's a woman. Well, same, same thing. I'm sorry. Uh, I, that that man, was the creepiest image in the thing. film, I think. Oh, I'm sorry, Latham? I, I said that that's the creepiest 
image and most horrifying thing in the film was that the way she died and then the wheelchair going off and bumping into everything that that was well done. and 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 mm-hmm. the the fact that the movie had not revealed itself yet as that level of of it being capable of that level of of gruesomeness you know is is what made it effective like ugh, you know like you know um <laughs> Uh, I was going to make a comparison, but it would it would be it would take me so long to com- to to complete the analogy that I'm not going to do it. Um, but but uh, so yeah, I I enjoyed the movie. The, the the movie I thought the movie was would have been. It was one of those movies where I watched it and I said, "Wow, that would have been way more effective had you not done this." You know, had you had you just cut this scene out, I would have been way more riveted towards you know what's going on. There's no perfect film, and it certainly would be improved by, uh, you know, maybe not revealing her floating about. And yet, to uh, Latham's point, is you know, not 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 great wire work. I think why that stands Um, out is because it's it's way more clumsy than anything you're used to. In there are there are imperfections in the film. Fine, there are there there are stylistic choices that you would not have made. Fine, that happens all the time. You know, I've seen I've seen Spielberg movies where I'm like, mm, I don't know about that cut. You know, I I'm there. You know, I get it. But her flying was almost like it was it was like adolescent. It was almost like a it was like grossly incompetent. Yeah. You know, like yeah, why? It's like the studio stepped in and said, "Look, man, we need some more. Like, why don't you just make her fly? That would be really interesting." And Polanski's like, "Look, just as long as the check clears, I'll do whatever." You know, because it did. That's what it felt stylistically, like. Stylistically, like yeah. Stylistically, it just didn't seem to work for me because she was effectively a creepy, and b mm-hmm. um, kind of omniscient, like otherworldly omniscient. So she was already giving off that aura of yeah. otherness, where she knew things. I was going to say you, you didn't get that vibe like on the train after his encounter with her on the yeah. train. After she like walks away and they show her and her eyes flash green the first time. Yes. But well, that too. That's a give. I mean, that's. A more I mean, that's visual. really your first tell. But yeah, mm-hmm. but but we don't want any tells because the whole point of Depp, he doesn't believe in the supernatural, so it's like he thinks it's all bullshit. So you can't carry that character forward and show this person betraying that point throughout the film. That's you're just the audience is. I, I was out at that point. I was like, okay, we know she's... Yeah, because after a while, it's like, you can't... You, after a while, you look at depth, like, how come you don't know that this chick is the devil? You know? Like, how come, how come you're not getting it? You know? Like... She's everywhere you are. How is she following you everywhere? And if the devil's I mean? here, talking to you, messing up, messing around, fucking things up, you know, for other people so that you can... What do you need the book for? What, what does anybody need the book for? To, to, to cross over to the plane of what... It doesn't... All I'm saying is that it just takes you out of the the other the otherworldliness. As as Latham says, the, it lost its ambiguity. It had a quality of ambiguity to it in the beginning, and it was it was building itself it off of the ambiguity, and then it just dropped it at, for some reason. And then now you're in a slugfest at the end, and then you know, okay, then I mean, there's there's other really interesting shit. Like Frank Langella just comes in and kills Lena Olin in front of all her followers. You know, none oh. of those people. <laughs> like, dude, yeah. you know, hey, I was just here for the punch, <laughs> man. What are you doing? Dude? You're ruining the party, man. And um, okay, so he's got a forged copy of the book. That right around then would have been for you to reveal 
that all this shit is real, you know? Um, because, like, when he's, he's okay, the, the trick of the ritual is that he's got the wrong page, so he, th- you know, so he's, he's, he's doing the ritual incorrectly. All right. That's a decent enough twist. But the bigger reveal of that moment would have been, no, all this shit is real, man. You've been following – these people are crazy, old, eccentric, um, rich people who you have been sneering at through the entire film because, you know, you're making your bones off of these people who are being ridiculously uh, uh, taken in by all this uh, stupidity. And then at the end, no, wait a minute, I'm wrong. Every, everything that I saw in this entire story was real, you know? Every, every supernatural element that I, that I wrote off as just some kind of anomaly, all of it was real. All of this is real. By the time he, by the time it's revealed to him and it's real, and Frank Langella is like, hey, hey I'm, you know, I can do anything I want. And he's like, Johnny Depp is in a hole in the floor. And he's like, hey, sh- show, us, show us another trick. And then, so then he checks himself on fire. And that's how this, and I'm, I'm like, show us another trick. You know, it's just, it was just weird. The, the, the film was just weird. It's okay. just uneven. I enjoy the film. I've seen the film several times before uh before uh this week that I'm, I'm reacquainted with it but i had it i was a fan of the the film for other reasons there there's a lot in the film to enjoy and and, and Let's talk about that. as as dan said there's a there's there is a level of there's a feeling of unease and creepiness to it the same as what latham said i i enjoy the first two acts more because there was that ambiguity to it once the girl starts flying it, it leading us into th- act three it's almost like they just gave up on the cleverness. It's like, okay, we're just doing a monster movie. Okay, here's, a, here's the devil. You know, here's the book. Frank Langella's, as you suspected from the beginning, because he's Frank. Whenever you hire Frank Langella, that's, you know, you hire. Yeah. It's, he's like <laughs> villains are us, you know. So, and, and so, so we know, we knew that he was, you know. And it just, there, there, there are characteristically interesting things that in the, in the story, like where Frank Langella says, like, I got a soft spot for you. You can go. You know, you you may leave. Like that's not something you expect your diabolical super super villainous, uh, you know, you know, loyal subject of Satan to to do or to say. There's a lot of interesting things in the film, but I did I when I was younger seeing this movie, maybe like 20 years ago. I don't know how old this movie is, but it was like it was a while ago. 99. Yeah, okay, 21 years. So so when I was 99. when I was younger and I saw this film. I do remember going, man, a flying girl kind of ruined it, you know? <laughs> so, so that's been the thing for me for a while. See, I, uh, I know, I, see, I, but you're I, wrong. I, you're wrong. I'm just kidding. Right. And I, and I always clearly just viewed that as just, I, I thought that was cool. I thought it was cool that she flies down the stairs. And I thought it was cool when she flies off the thing to stop him from killing Boris after he kills Lena Olin. I, I, I like that. I, I, you know, I, I, and again, I, I'm clearly not as maybe, maybe not. I'm a, otherwise you need to fly. Maybe yeah. I'm, maybe I'm not as critical as I be because like, cause it's, it's all right. I'm, I'm clearly not as, does the okay, devil not know how to do here's, here's the thing. I'm I'm clearly not as critical as I should no, be about no, films no. and maybe, and maybe no, 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 just let me finish. I, you know, I, I've said from the very beginning when it comes to when it comes to films, I require films to do one thing for me, and that's I want you to entertain me. That's your job. I don't need you to inform me. I don't need you to 
change the way I think about something. I don't need any of that. I want to be entertained. That's, that's your job to me. Uh, mm -hmm. Those other things I see as perks. I mean, if I get, if I, if I walk out of a movie and it makes me go to the library, it makes me go to Amazon and look up that, that story and order two or three books off of Amazon to find out more about the original story. That's something else entirely. Right. You know, then I feel like a movie's really succeeded. Or if it like, you know, if you walk out of a theater and you just, you, you have to think about it for a long time afterwards, you're just like, wow, that's, that's, that's something, you know, I, you know, and then, and then you start digging into it and you find out, you know, all this stuff that, you know, that you didn't see, or you, you know, you didn't catch that's part of the thematic undertone of the film or whatever. And, and, I, and you start to put kind of two and two together and you start to like really think about it and the things become different. You know, I mean, it changes the way you perceive film. And this is why this is one of the reasons why when I was younger, I always I always veered away from ever considering going to film school or considering going to to be in a in a like furthering education when it comes to film theory or anything like that, because I didn't want films ruined for me. I wanted to be able to go and sit and do and sit down in front of any movie and just be entertained. That that's what I, I don't want to sit down and nitpick anything. But uh, you know, after you watch six or seven thousand <laughs> films, after a while, yeah. you kind of start to think about stuff in a different ten thousand hours, also, we, ten thousand hours, anything. and what you do and what you do on a show like this is is you is you try to dig in a little bit. You know, you try. So I try to watch things with a little bit more of an informed. Well, Hold on. Uh, Wait, um, I'm not going to. And, and again, I, you, just to reinforce what you just said, I'm not trying to say that you're wrong about anything. So what I would, I, I know, but I mean, what I'm, what I'm going to offer here is for you to see it the way I saw it right. by using another analogy for, from another movie that you actually like th the, the theory. There's a, there's a growing theory that uh, Rufus uh, Thulis, his character in kingdom of heaven was, an angel, the hospitaler. Okay. And that he was kind of, he the same kind of circumstance as the, as the girl in the ninth gate. He was kind of omnipresent. He was, he was omniscient with his, with his knowledge. He was, he was un, uncharacteristically uh, enlightened for the age that he was in and in how he explained what honor was and explained what, what holiness was and stuff like that. He was, he was a uh, Orlando Bloom's kind of guide star in the in the story and there there is a strong suggestion that he was an angel or he was some kind of otherworldly being but it's never been it was never confirmed it was never and i mean like the ridley scott's uh, commentary said said that said as much and and then there's other there's other articles and stuff there's actually even the closest it comes to revealing itself in the movie kingdom of heaven for everybody else to follow uh, the closest it comes to really revealing itself is when uh orlando bloom is uh, pissed off about the the, the coming war uh, that that he was powerless to be able to stop, and he's throwing stones at a at a bush, and because of the the heat and the dryness of the desert, the stone actually ignites a spark, and the bush catches fire, and he tells Rufus Thulis that uh, you know there's your David 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 Thulis, yeah I get him mixed up with Rufus Sewell sorry uh, he tells David Thulis that. You know, there's your God. You know that 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 Moses was just a delirious guy wandering through the desert, and a, and a bush caught fire, and he thought that that was God talking to him. And uh, Thulis says more ethereal kind of stuff, and then he says, "Look, you know, I pray for myself. I pray for uh, I pray for Jerusalem. I pray for this whole countryside." And he 
disappears. But he disappears as a, as a trick of the camera where Orlando Bloom looks away and he looks back and the guy's just gone, right? And that's the closest it comes to revealing it's him, this character as somewhat supernatural, as a supernatural element, right? And okay. if he had at that scene sprouted wings and flew away, that level of what? <laughs> that you might have felt yeah, I agree. seeing that is kind of how I felt about the girl flying. You're like, I'm with you. I'm with what you're trying to subtly say to me. And then, okay, you didn't need to hit me over the head with it. You know, I, I get that this guy might be, you're, you're suggesting perhaps there's more to this than you can see. Here you go. You know, here's another hint. Here's another hint. Because at the end, you just see the guy's severed head. Excuse me, spoilers for that character. But, you know, it was the Battle of Hatton. <laughs> it didn't go well for the Christians. Um, right. uh, so you're like, okay, I guess you were real. But that still doesn't mean he was, you know? So, what, so I, I when a, I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. And I get your point. Okay. I just, I, I think that, and again, this, this comes back to, you know, if I sit down to view the Ninth Gate, and I sit down to view the kingdom of uh, kingdom of heaven. Those are two very different films. And I, and I, and I get going into either one cold, one would expect, you know, if I'm sitting through the first, the first third of kingdom of heaven, I understand that it's a historical drama. I don't expect someone to sprout wings and fly away. I get it, but I'm watching ninth gate, which is this guy investigating books about the devil. I see somebody flying Yes, I understand why you guys would would be bothered by that and why you feel it would take away from that. But I'm also like, huh, cool, because now I'm like, I'm. It gets me more invested from that side. Yeah, I mean, for me, for me, it's a little bit the same. I'm like, if I'm watching the Ninth Gate, I I, I know this is going to be a movie about Satan. I, I want to see some supernatural stuff, and I don't have to see it at the very end. But to, to Sana's point and Latham's point, like at the beginning of a superhero movie, you're seeing people doing superheroic stuff and uh, you know, Superman can lift a car and, and these fantastic things happen. So you're, you're set up from the beginning and it is, you know, how you deliver these uh, visuals is going to have a profound effect on the film. But at the same time, yeah, I've seen, I've seen this movie for, for, a, for a different reason um, than I would be even watching the walking dead, you know? So it's, right. it's, a, it's a whole different uh, film journey, I guess. Um yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. And that, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the ninth gate. So, uh, you know what, guys, I really appreciated that. That was kind of cool. Um, because uh, I've never, I guess you guys get into this. I didn't, uh, I haven't seen some of the other episodes or listened to them rather, but it's really cool to hear, hear all the stuff dissected in those ways. It's pretty awesome. We try. I mean, we're just, hey, listen, at the end of the day, uh, it's just one dumb guy and his buddies uh, trying to look at movies and, you know. <laughs> I am um, not dumb. And I'm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, see, I was going to say one dumb guy and his dumb brother. <laughs> okay. I would have just said, just, I didn't want to say, I didn't want to speak for you guys and say three dumb guys looking no, at movies. There's enough dumb to go around. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, uh, so to, uh, to accelerate things here, let's jump into the poster files. Uh, and uh, just go through those real fast. Uh, no, so, we don't look at poster files, Steve. Yes, we do. And you, and we have to go to a certain place to do it, Lay. You can't just look at posters. Where's that? Down the tubes. And again, the internet 
is not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's, it's a series of tubes. <laughs> so now we move on to posters for the ninth gate. You guys' favorite film. Which, which really disappointingly, I was only able to find one fan poster for. So there's, this oh. is going to be pretty quick. I'll have well, to make that's actually very Sorry. not disappointing. <laughs> right. So this is this is the U.S. teaser, uh, leading. I mean, I don't not like a good one. You have the gate, and you have Johnny Depp. So <laughs> exactly, Johnny yeah. Depp. This is the ninth gate. There you go. And he's, <laughs> he's looking through. Yeah. So next is the U.S. Uh, general release poster. Great one. Very I like cool. This as well. You like looking at Johnny Depp with cigarettes? This is great. <laughs> Fantastic for that purpose. And uh, and I put this one in just because there's such a, a limited amount of actual artwork for this movie. Uh, this is the DVD cover. This is actually oh. arguably a more well-known image than the yeah. actual movie poster. Because mm-hmm. th- that is such a f- poor Photoshop composite yeah, it's, of everything. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't like this. Yeah, yeah, it's it's four images slapped together, and it's you know, whatever. No. Yeah, I used to have to do that. I would I would put together these. Um, I work for a, a movie poster company, and basically we were given a lot of key art, and it was like, well, how do we photo collage this? And it was up to us to kind of. Um, oh wow. Create photo collages based on artwork because, you know, in in some rare cases they would go back and, and take shots and so they could create the artwork, but most of it you were given, you know, pieces to work with. Sure. Yeah. We had, uh, you know, we had Jimmy on the show and uh, he did where Eagles dare and it was his main film. And uh, you know, he talked about working for Bill Gold. And, you know, his so his his uh, his dissection of our movie poster segment was a lot of fun because he was, yeah. you know, that's that was his world for, a, a, a you know, nine years. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was some, that was fun having him on. So this uh, this is the German uh, release poster. And again, the German, a German and a couple more of the European countries had this exact same image. They just changed the, the titling to their to their language. Die ninth gate. <laughs> yeah, you know, is I would make sure that the, the cracked glasses really says cracked glass, so I'd make that a little lighter. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Did it bother any of you guys that scene in the movie where he's got the blood on him and he's walking around the hotel and he's still got the blood on him? <laughs> that just bothered me. It's like, wipe that fucking blood off of you. I think he's just so at that point in the movie he he's he's just all he's near the point where he's just given up like he's, he's a little frazzled true. yeah given up question what's happening he just had some on his nose is yeah can I just get through this night if I could just wake up tomorrow maybe I can right. get this that's is a good, good point too yeah this next piece is uh this is turkey's uh poster again just uh oh my god <laughs> uh, well <laughs> not <great>. wow. <laughs> Not a great poster. No. And what what is what is coming out of the book? Her it, naked. Oh <laughs> yeah, you're right. Room. I couldn't tell. Um, yeah. Oh boy, that's bad. I mean, this may be. There, there, even the crops of the faces are terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, they're terribly. His is just the one from the U.S. poster. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it's, and look and and look at like the image of his face and the glasses. You know, so because like, and you know, it would be offset because of the the glass refraction, but it just looks weird in the poster. 
Yeah. I don't think this movie's making it a week in Turkey anyway. All right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really doesn't matter what they have. It could be a turnip on the poster. It wouldn't matter. Yeah, they're not going to be down for that. Um, and uh, and the one poster whoa. I did find was uh, by Casey Castile. Oh, that's awesome. I, 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 actually, I like this a lot, actually. This is the best one. <laughs> Interesting. Almost like a Lynch poster. Yeah. Pretty cool. Especially I like the, the very pulpy. Uh, yeah, I like the, very pulpy. the LCF in there. I like the, the yeah. she put the LCF in the corner. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, Lena Olin. That's probably only. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only depiction she got for the for the, all the posted. That's right. And her murder face. She's got her murder yeah, face. Yeah. Oh, I'm being strangled. Face. What? <laughs> yeah. It's like a it's like a pentagram shuriken in her neck there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but so that does it for our posters. Where would you guys put the ninth gate with the Polanski films? Now that's Ooh. that's fun to do Polanski. That's a great idea. Uh, yeah, because that's a that's I a mean, horse, that's a horse of a different color. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to beat the pianist or Chinatown, in my my opinion. Those are I, I don't disagree really with you. Good. And the thing is, is he's got a chunk of movies that were done in the '90s that I really like. I liked Frantic, Bitter Moon, Death and the Maiden. Frantic, all, yeah. Frantic's decent. It, Frantic's one of those movies that like no one saw for some for whatever reason. We did, and I yes, saw. and Bitter Moon is is super dark, but I like it. Uh, same with Death and the Maiden. I, I like the you know the basic story there. Yeah, that's tough, man. I, and Ghost Rider, I loved Ghost. I love Rider. that film too, which is almost a, another version of this movie. In, in, a a, in, a, in a, yes, without without the supernatural elements, correct. Yeah. Which is why I like Ghost Rider so much. I'll watch, that's another movie I'll keep. If that's on or I see it, you know, I will watch it. Uh, I, I would probably, out of Polanski's films that I've seen, now there's a, there's a chunk of them that I have. I've seen Rosemary's Baby. Yep. Uh, I've seen Fearless Vampire Killers. I have not seen Cul-de-Sac, and I have not seen Repulsion, which well, I understand. Repulsion's good. Repulsion's uh, which, which, I, which, which I understand both of those are good. I have seen Knife in the Water, and a Knife in the Water I would definitely put in in, in my top five, if not top three, uh, Polanski films. I mean, it's wow. it's it's the originator. I mean, it's listen, it's where Dead Calm came from, which is brilliant. It's where you know where numerous takes have been done on the three people on a boat story, and wow. that's and that's where it comes from. So, you know, what about it, this movie? What? Yeah, I don't know. It's called that. what? Yeah. What? Okay. Hmm. Marcelo Mastriani. Oh. Oh, here's the synopsis. A flying woman goes around town. Okay. Okay, just stop. Okay, sorry. <laughs> just <stop>. awful. <laughs> just awful. Put that in there. Yeah. yeah. I was uh, at, oh, it's he, eleven. Yeah. He, he was coming. He was coming for all of us with that yeah, one. Right. <laughs> Trust me. And, uh, <laughs> and then he, I've I did I've it. not seen I've not seen anything past Ghost Rider, so I didn't see Carnage, and I didn't see Venus and Fur or uh, Officer and a Spy. So he, he's in Rush Hour Three as an actor. That's weird. He was the taxi driver in Ninth Gate. Was he? Yeah. Wasn't wasn't he the tough guy though? Who was he in uh, in Chinatown? Yes, he was the he, guy in Chinatown. He China- was one of the yeah, tough guys in Chinatown. Yep. Oh, I didn't uh, know. That. What's interesting was the guy in a white suit with a knife. Right. 
what's what's interesting about uh, also in Ninth Gate is uh, the two brothers when he goes to the Sinisa brothers the first time when he goes to their shop, and the two guys you know, even though it is the same actor done on a motion control rig, Rowan Polanski actually does the voice of the brother on the right. Oh, <laughs> he dubbed the voice to make them sound different. That's cool. Even I didn't that, know they were. Yeah, it was good effect. I didn't know that was an effect. And then when he goes back at the end, the two guys working are again the same actor who played the Sinisa brothers, but right. then just made up, you know, to look much younger. Mm-hmm. So the guy actually, that guy played four roles in this movie. Wow, overworked. Wonder how much SAG thinks about that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Did he get four times scale? <laughs> no, heck no. You know he didn't. Um, well, well, guys, seeing seeing cool. as all all of Polanski's films shot in the last twenty five years have all been shot outside of the U.S., I don't know. I don't yeah. know how much. Wonder why? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. So strange. <laughs> I know it's so weird. I don't. I don't know exactly <laughs> how much. Um, how much effect SAG has uh, in other yeah, countries? I don't think they have a whole lot of say. <laughs> so no, it's, <laughs> it's like, oh, how much am I being paid for this? I don't know how much. Uh, how much do you think you're worth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I think you're worth. <laughs> but you're not gonna like but you're it. Not gonna like <laughs> it. I think uh, Rosemary's Baby is is my favorite of his because it is an appropriately creepy movie. It is, and it has a, it has a very interesting resolution. Yes, it resolves very interestingly, yep. like without spoiling it. So, um, very very graphic for that era. Oh yeah, too. You know, in certain in certain respects. So. I like how my lighting has changed throughout this entire. Uh, uh, Someone turned the light on in the background. Uh, you know what I think it is? It's the contrast to whatever's on the screen that's reflecting on your computer Maybe. screen. Maybe. So, so yeah. I think that that on that on the big monitor. So it's like, yeah, uh, see, look, there you go. Yeah. It's it's how I much IMDb pages open. It's the it's the white balance of uh, versus the. Uh, <laughs> What's happening? Oh, oh, oh. there you go. That's just my regular. That's nice and warm. Yeah. (laughs) Just like me. That's right. Very, very inviting. The inviting Dan Panosian. So, Dan, uh, thank you. Thank you guys for basically telling me, you know, my choices. (laughs) No, that's. Oh, man. I'm glad I watched them both. I mean, I didn't watch Midsummer again, but I'm glad I watched Night (laughs) Gate again. I wouldn't put you through that life. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, it, was, it wasn't. A, I mean, again, it's not a, I don't view it as a bad movie. I just, I just don't love it. I, yeah. I, I, I like, I would recommend both movies for people to see. And That's that cool. matters more, I think, is whether something's worth seeing, whether it, you find it good or bad, because art is subjective. It just matters if the art is worth experiencing. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, I had a great time, you guys. Son, I appreciated it. And, um, Stephen, you know, we'll have to have a talk about this later, but I had a great time. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. No, 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 no problem. <laughs> uh, and Steve, I will be seeing you soon. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, what? What? Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get an email about two minutes after this ends, and it's going to be like, by the way, you know you can't air any of that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dan Balkin. Yeah. yeah. So I'll go, Stephen. I'm gonna get my. I'm gonna get a ladder, and you and I are gonna have a little talking to. (laughs) (laughs) 
because Dan's, Dan's such a tiny guy. Um, so I do appreciate like having because I wouldn't have seen mid. I, I I wanted to see Midsummer, but I wouldn't have gotten around to it. Yeah, anytime well, soon. Cool. Yeah. I mean, so I don't know how I landed. I think I liked Heredity that much that I was like, I got to see this. So. Right. Yeah. I appreciate you, it. Thank you. Do you have anything uh, you want to plug, Dan? Well, I'm, I'm doing kind of a, a horror comic book, I guess it would be called. It's, uh, it's called An Unkindness of Ravens for Boom Studios. And the first mm-hmm. issue just came out, uh, I think it was the 23rd, so last Wednesday. And it's doing pretty good. It sold, it sold pretty well and put a lot of work into it. It's, um, it's ideally like 25 issues or something. So that wow. Effect. We'll see. We'll see. But you know, this is all depends on how well it's received. Um, well, fuck. They just made. Uh, they're making one point three million dollars on Berserker, uh, which ends tomorrow yeah, morning. So, so I think that they can afford to throw a little, a little back into. Uh, you know, hopefully yeah, doing. We'll yeah, that's all numbers. Just it, I always consider comic books as. Um, it's like Hollywood for kindergartners. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same stuff that goes on, just on a extreme, a much much smaller scale. So right. It's, it's all about numbers. It's all about you know what's what's you know what's going to happen. And I get it. So and then, I, ho- I hope it catches on. I, it, it, like these films, it's kind of a slow burn. So it starts off one way. It starts, it starts off instantly enough, and it just every issue gets creepier and darker and darker. Um, so so this is a story with a definite beginning and ending. It is unfortunately okay. it doesn't end at issue five, but there is a lot of resolution by issue five. Um, okay. And I think by the end you can you can almost put the pieces together um, of, of of what's happened, which is good. But you know, by the second series, the first series would be completely resolved. Right on. Just, you know. Cool. cool. Yeah. Who's cool. Uh, who's writing it? I'm writing it. Um, this girl Mariana Ignazi, this Italian. Um, artist she's she's doing the pencils and the inks and then Fabiana Mascalo is coloring it she's a brilliant colorist um I did I did the uh, logo which is right uh, I love doing logos and obviously the covers and I do also there's like bookends for this thing so it starts off with an older like her her uh, Mariana's style is is very I don't know how to describe it it's I mean people kind of can people kind of compare it to like almost like Archie comics in a way so it's a little, it's a little bit of a different take for uh, what you'd think for a horror um, comic book, but uh, the coloring is is kind of sophisticated, and, and they, these these two girls know each other quite well, and they they've worked together in the past, and they're oh, friends. Good. good. And then my my story is is more told like the Stardust, the Neil Gaiman Stardust stuff with Charles Bass, where it's almost like a storybook, and it gives you backstory onto kind of what's happening in a little foreshadowing in places. So. I don't know. It's, it's a it's an unusual, strange comic book. I'll it's be curious to see how it resonates with people, good or bad. I look forward to checking it out. That's for that's for sure. I'll have to uh, I'll have to go try and run down a copy somewhere. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Absolutely. But uh, again, uh, I, I very much appreciate your time. Thanks so much. I know this is I know this is past uh, unplugged time, so I, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't disturb your your son, he, he so worked. we did good. I'm so, he's obviously asleep by now, so I, I get a talking to from him in the morning. Yeah, where were you? <laughs> were you hiding from me? Yeah, afraid of me. He's yeah. still. He thinks, we always fight. And he always goes. You know, I beat you up, right, Dad? And I'm like, 
<laughs> you know what? Yes, you will. <laughs> By the time he's 16, I'm sure he'll be able to. Yeah. Anyone who doesn't know Dan, Dan's built like a UFC fighter. He's he's built like a like a my younger like brother. an old school UFC fighter. Not like a, not like the young trim guys they have now. Roided huh? out, a roided out one. Yeah. <laughs> I love how that. That's on a side note. How how the UFC kind of like dispelled all that stuff for people. I know, right? See these these guys that were clearly influenced, like I was from the the '90s and '80s, with all these huge muscles, and then you have like a guy like this last week went weekend with Israel Adesanya, who just looks like a skinny tall guy just beat the living daylights out of this guy who looks like an action yeah. figure, and he just made sport of the guy. It's kind of interesting. I mean, it's a little disheartening. It's, that's why. For a guy like me, I mean. But, uh, <laughs> completely out of context that's why i always loved um nor uh i forget the director norrington i think is a uh, blade oh yes and yes. the fact that they hired um steven dorf to to offset uh yeah to to you know to offset wesley snipes who's wesley snipes is a smaller guy but he has a giant presence yeah. on camera so you get this kind of almost uh, gangly yeah. steven dorf and he's still a, a genuinely effective bad guy, you know. He's he's b- completely believable. Um, and I think if they had gotten some like nineteen eighties like Schwarzenegger type to do it, it would have been too cartoony. Yeah. So yeah, in, yeah, in keeping what you were saying. Yeah. So the UFC kind of dispelled all that stuff for everyone, um, much to my chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> Put all that work in for nothing. Yeah, <laughs> This is useless. 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 I want a milkshake. <laughs> my fries. Where's my fries? <laughs> yeah. I want carbs. My God, I want carbs. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Yeah. Well. <laughs> all right, guys. Hey, yeah. guys. Have a good awesome. night. Thanks, buddy. Take care. I'll Thank talk you, to you soon. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so Thank much, you. everybody. Bye-bye. See ya. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks to Fesslian Studios for our intro music. Get your own awesome music at fesslianstudios.com. Please check out our website at cinementalpod.com for all the poster images we discuss in our Down the Tube segments. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can always listen to new episodes at cinementalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at cinementalpod. For Hassan Godwin, Latham Conger III, and myself, we say thank you so much for listening, as always, and in the words of our friend and fellow cholrophobiac, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs>